I'm Christine Dolan, and I'm a journalist, and I know a lot of people know Mike Lindell because of some of the issues having to do with elections, but I know him in a different way. Last year, in the middle of the 2020 election, my back was killing me because I'm teleworking. So a friend of mine sent me a pillow that Mike Lindell manufactured, and it helped me to sit on a chair doing interviews, too many interviews during the day because we're all working off-site. And then this year, because we're working off-site and we, we all want to be comfortable, I tried Mike Lindell's slippers. Now, I'm a big one on slippers because I like comfort. I have worn moccasin slippers all my life. And when I tried Mike Lindell's slippers, I couldn't believe this because it really does have four layers of cushions. It's like having very loose tennis shoes on. And it's easy because you really do wear them all night long if you're working like me from the early hours of the morning to the late hours at night. So I highly recommend Mike Lindell's slippers and his pillows if you've got a back problem and you're sitting down. Now, how you get the discount for this is very simple. It's on our site. CDM is the promo code for it. Promo code CDM is what we're asking you to do. Again, you will feel comfortable for your back with those little pillows that he has and also for the slippers that you can get from him. And now let's get to our guests. So today in American Conversations, we have a good friend, Frank Gaffney, back with us. And we're going to talk about a very serious topic. How close are we to nuclear war? And uh, people need to wake up about this. Frank, welcome. Christine, it's good to be with you. Thank you for having me. Yes. Uh, so, guys, let's let's talk about the nuclear war. I mean, Frank, what are your feelings about where we are? Because it looks very serious from here. It is very serious on a couple of different levels. Uh, for one thing, uh, we're dealing with, in Vladimir Putin, somebody who is very serious about nuclear war fighting. And, you know, going back to my beloved old boss, Ronald Reagan, who insisted that a nuclear war could not be won and must never be fought. That is not the view of Vladimir Putin. Uh, a couple of examples that suggest very much the contrary. One, he has just completed, uh, essentially completed, if not actually completed, a massive modernization program. By some estimates, 22 different systems have been put into place for carrying uh, and delivering nuclear warheads. Secondly, he has a doctrine that he's enunciated relatively recently called escalate to de-escalate, which essentially means use nuclear weapons to decisively defeat the enemy and precipitate an end to hostilities on your terms. And third, and in some ways the most worrying of all, is that since he's been president, which is quite a period of time now, he has repeatedly conducted personally in the role of the trigger puller strategic nuclear warfighting exercises in which there have been simulated thermonuclear attacks against the United States, sometimes aided and abetted by his Chinese allies, oftentimes just using Russia's own nuclear forces. When you put all of that together with the kinds of capabilities that have been put in place over the years, um, not just in the nuclear weapons arena, but um, for example, entire cities, we're told, 
of deeply buried, you know, leadership hideouts um, in the Ural Mountains, notably. Um, you look at civil defenses that have been put into place for uh, at least some of the population. You look at missile defenses uh, for much of the territory of Russia, uh, certainly its key population areas and and uh, Moscow. These are all things that bespeak a very strong conviction that nuclear war can be fought and won. And as a result, when you look at the context in which this is currently being discussed in uh, Ukraine, an invasion there, uh, our response to it, his response to our response, which is among other things included, elevating the alert status of his nuclear forces. I think this puts us very much, um, certainly since you know Reagan's time, uh, at the at the closest proximity to an actual nuclear conflict that I can think of. One of the things Putin says all the time, Frank, is and he said it for about a decade now: is don't forget we have nuclear weapons. I mean that's been his mantra for some time now we we also there were some reports that he had moved his family out to some of the bunkers in siberia with multiple command and control aircraft heading that direction um yes. have you heard of that i mean have you seen some of that traffic i don't know about his family or his mistress or their children I, i'm hearing rumors He's gotta have two that, houses but I, I guess <laughs> yeah but i have been uh, told that uh, there have been a number of flights Mm -hmm. with perhaps as many as 200 people on board each of them from mm -hmm. Moscow out to the Ural Mountains. And mm -hmm. that could well, again, signal a uh, preparation for nuclear war fighting. Frank, do we, is, has there, is there any other leader on Earth that we know of that has done something like that, participated in something like this? Is this the first? I don't know. It, it's it's certainly the most prominent example. I, I suspect uh, Xi Jinping has been doing it in China, but I don't think they make such a spectacle of it as Putin does. Probably Kim Jong-un. Uh, he's usually there when missiles are launched, but um, whether he's actually presiding over uh, war games, I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised, honestly. There was... Um so go ahead, Christine. No, I was I was just going to say this. This is a bad video game, you know. This this is not a game. This is this is this for is no real. It, it's it's. Uh, but do we have cooler heads in the middle of this? I mean, we have Na the NATO meeting coming up now this week in Brussels. Yeah, President Biden is going to head to Europe. Um, I I think. Uh, trying desperately to look as though he's at the head of this parade. I don't think he is. And whether he will be doing anything other than you know, just sort of uh, uh, cheering on the guys who have been mostly um, leading on the sanctions against the Russians uh, it remains to be seen. I, I personally don't think he's got it in him. But the bigger piece of this, when you talk about cooler heads, uh, Christine, what's been so worrying to me basically since I left the Reagan administration where I had you know, responsibilities for mm -hmm. nuclear weapons policy is that we have not had terribly cool heads or that's not maybe the best term for it. We've not had adults running our nuclear weapons policy for most of that intervening period, I'm sorry to say. And I don't mean to say that, you know, general officers and military mm -hmm. personnel who are manning these silos and so on aren't adults. I mean to say that the people 
determining what kinds of nuclear deterrent capabilities we require and ensuring that we have them have not been conducting themselves in a way that I think the American people expect them to have done. In fact, if you look at our nuclear arsenal, I mentioned Putin's modernization program. The Chinese have undertaken a similar one. In fact, they're, they've been recently discerned to be putting 350 large hardened silos in place out in the desert, each of which is believed to be capable of having a missile capable in turn of carrying 10 independently targetable warheads. Mm -hmm. That's an immense force buildup, needless to say. Now, they're not in place just yet, but they're coming. Mm -hmm. You look at that, you look at uh, what, well, everybody else is up to. Uh, the North Koreans are flying even hypersonic missiles, which we do not have, by the way. Mm -hmm. You look at the Pakistanis, they're building up. Uh, you look at uh, the Iranians, they're, they're at the cusp of having nuclear weapons. And no matter what the administration says, they're going to get them. The point being that at a time when all of that's taking place, we have essentially neglected our own nuclear deterrent capabilities. I mean, imagine this. I left the, Pent the Pentagon, right. acting as an assistant secretary of defense in 1988. I'm not sure there's been a single weapon, maybe one, that we have introduced since mm -hmm. that time in terms of modernizing our arsenal. The last time we tested underground, realistically, a nuclear weapon out in uh, the, the uh, Nevada desert was 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. So here we find ourselves in a situation where, I'm sorry to say, our own nuclear forces are obsolescent at best, maybe even obsolete. Uh, we have no leadership protection to speak of. We have no civil defense to speak of. We have a very minimal missile defense, which has been deliberately kept sufficiently small mm -hmm. so as not to actually be able to defeat a Russian or Chinese nuclear attack. And our policies have veered increasingly in the direction of uh, well, sort of the radical left's arms control nostrums that, uh, you know, the best um, posture we can be in is uh, to be pretty much perfectly vulnerable. This is frankly recklessly dangerous, if not downright insane. Mm -hmm. And it's being done on purpose. I mean, do you feel like the NATO expansion mantra that uh, has pushed Ukraine into, I think, a conflict really didn't have the force structure or the leadership or the policy or the strategic planning to enforce that where you're, you're bringing the border all the way, you're bringing the alliance all the way to the near abroad of Putin into his sphere of influence and giving him a reason to react well look um, call me cynical about this but I don't think that this is about the proximity of NATO to mm -hmm. Mother Russia for Putin. Mm -hmm. I think this is about Putin wishes to reconstitute, at the very least, a Russian empire, mm -hmm. if not the Soviet empire. Um, Crimea was a piece of Russia. He grabbed that. Uh, the Donbass was a piece of Russia. He grabbed that. Uh, 
Mm -hmm. The rest of Ukraine that was a piece of Russia, he's intent on grabbing that. And apparently, if he can't grab it, he's going to destroy it. Lots well, he's in the, he, I mean, the, the pictures, I mean, who knows if the pictures are all true, but or they're, they're repeated, but the pictures, the pictures look, it's just devastation. Yeah. In some well, of those neighborhoods. I, I think so. Was, you, you don't see any policy, you don't see a policy failure of pushing NATO expansion. And I'm just curious of your thoughts on that. No, I, I, I'm not mm -hmm. saying that. I'm just saying I don't mm -hmm. think that's what prompted Putin to mm -hmm. act. I think that uh, Ukraine was not going to get into NATO. Uh, people who talked about it were doing so, I think, um, perhaps to buck up the Ukrainians or to make themselves feel, you know, um, as though they're, you know, players. But it wasn't, I think, in the cards, and I don't think mm -hmm. it was going to happen. But I don't think it's the point. Mm -hmm. Vladimir Putin has said repeatedly that the greatest catastrophe of the 20th century mm -hmm. was the fall of the Soviet Union. Right. When you think about it, the other contenders for that distinction were World War One, the Holocaust, mm -hmm. World War Two. To suggest that this is even on a scale of those, yeah. uh, let alone greater than them, I think suggests a fixation on the part of this guy to hold those who perpetrated that greatest catastrophe responsible and to get even with them. And I think that's basically what this has been about. And it's what makes this situation bigger than um, Ukraine, it seems to me. It, it's it's not just the other nations of the, as you called it, near abroad mm -hmm. term, but it's also uh, the countries that escaped from under the Russians and Soviets thumb uh, at the end of the Cold War and are now mm -hmm. part of NATO as well, uh, Eastern European nations, uh, Poland, Romania, and the Baltic states among them. Those are all in the crosshairs, it seems to me. And whether Putin feels emboldened to act or not, uh, mm -hmm. let alone act with you know, maybe tactical nuclear weapons on the battlefield in Ukraine to have his way, um, very much remains to be seen, but I wouldn't preclude it. So, Frank, if you if you were advising Biden right now, or maybe not Biden, um, but if oh, you were well. at the table at, at NATO, what's the best outcome for this to 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 bring the temperature down? I think the best outcome is for Putin to uh, conclude that he has gotten what he's going to get out of this and he's going to stop and that the ukrainians uh, in some number will survive and will be in a position to reconstitute their country and that um, the ukrainian posture going forward will probably be um, one that is clearly not aligned with the west and yet a relatively free society um, I think that's the best that we can hope for at the moment. Um, the other options are all pretty ugly. Um, Putin continues to devastate the place. Um, what that would mean in terms of occupying it or controlling it going forward, I, I have no idea. It seems as though it's going to be a pretty nasty bit of business. Uh, obviously horrific for the people of Ukraine, but it's going to be a... a bloody mess for the 
Russians, if they are supposedly going to be able to own uh, Ukraine under those circumstances. Um, and then it gets worse from there. You know, does Putin feel that he can actually, with impunity, um, go after one or more of the countries I mentioned that are part of the NATO uh, alliance? Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to say. Uh, you know, I guess the other possibility, and uh, it, it has its own uh, uncertainties associated with it, is that the people around Putin decide, like, the people around Nikolai Ceausescu in Romania yeah. uh, decades mm-hmm. ago, that, you know, uh, he's got to go. And they uh, give him, uh, you know, the nine millimeter uh, outcome. I don't know. But all I'm saying is I think at the moment, um, personally, I believe that we should be standing with the people of Ukraine against what's being perpetrated uh, on, upon them. I'm not in favor of putting our own forces in the mix there, but I do think that uh, we have an interest in this not going uh, to the point where they are destroyed as well as defeated. You mentioned uh, regime change in Moscow. There was, um, I, I tend to believe that the public, the Russian public, is much more supportive of Putin than we think. I know there's an element that is not, uh, the Dumbali element or whatever, but. For instance, there was a, a recent uh, gathering of a lot of social leaders, uh, important um, political thinkers or whatever, a couple of days ago, several hundred, you know, very big Russian personalities. And they all wrote a document that basically outlined how Russian civilization will be better without Western influence and, and you know, in supporting that. Uh, I think he's um, not as vulnerable as people think. But what do you think? Do you think he's well, – go ahead. Well, I do. I, I think that's right. Uh, he does enjoy um, considerable popular support. I have the feeling that will diminish over time, just because mm-hmm. of the privations that are going to be associated yeah. with, you know, his uh, his role in all of this. But the the Russians are long suffering people, and um, yeah. there may be some who will say, as you've indicated, that uh, they're better off um, being with the Chinese. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think the dime is going to drop at some point that that's actually not going to be such a good outcome for the Russians. And it's, it's coming. Make, make no mistake yeah. about it. The Chinese yeah. may be their allies at the moment, but um, they have in mind that Lebensraum for China and Siberia and taking as much of those resources and uh, probably further to the West as they yeah. want. Do you guys think that China is looking at this and thinking, well, if, Putin wants to take Ukraine back and he wants to rebuild the Soviet empire. You know, there, there was a time in history when um, Russia took some of the Chinese geography as well. I mean, is sure. that, is that even a possibility that, that, you know, Xi would say, okay, we want Mongolia back. Uh, well, Xi has a good part of Mongolia already, of course, and uh, I think he does. But I meant well, the, the 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 outer Mongolia that was that was part yeah. of China. Look, there is, um, I think, a high certainty that Xi's ambition is what he says it is, which is world domination. And right. He's not interested in bits and pieces of Eurasia. He's interested in the whole shooting match. 
And it may well be a whole shooting match before this is over. One of the things that I've been fascinated by, we, our Committee on the Present Danger of China did a study last summer about uh, the so-called Belt and Road Initiative. And honestly, right. until we did it, I had no idea how many countries have already been it isn't essentially enslaved mm -hmm. by the Chinese as a result of the kind of payday loans that they've used to get people hooked up. Uh, we'll build you infrastructure for ports and rail networks and road networks and um, airports, and and you'll give us uh, or sell us your you know rare earth minerals or whatever other things that uh, we want in the way of commodities will sell our stuff to your markets and we'll basically um do all the construction and and be a presence in your country going forward well that does constitute in due course uh sort of captive nations as we used to call them in the cold war it's a, it's one of the most underreported understood stories it, here 145 in or so countries out of about 190 right. are actually and they've now done it, they've done it all over Africa uh, oh, and it's, and it's, and it's, all it's economic Latin coercion America, Asia they, they have it, they have it in, in the Balkans and Macedonia I mean it really right. it's extraordinary and right. they did it before Xi announced this back in 2013-14 they have yeah. been doing it for decades but it's it is their plan to dominate yeah. But here's so, the point, Christine, yeah. and you you get this. When you look at where all of these investments are taking place, mm -hmm. it's not just about kind of a modern day version of the East India Company where a mercantilist yeah. system can support, you know, kind of the empire. It's also about power projection. And mm -hmm. this is the thing that worries me really most about what's teeing up here between the axis between Russia and China, um, wow. the participation of the Iranians and the North Koreans and the Pakistanis and the Taliban and, and the communists now running the table in Latin America, by the way. Mm -hmm. uh, but it has this complement of other assets, other strategic infrastructure and the power projection capabilities that go with it that that would make the kind of war that I think these guys have in mind for us truly global and yeah. totally devastating. Needless to say, I oh, hope I'm wrong. You know, this, this is not a good but interview. This is, <laughs> this is, this is uh, unfortunately. It's realistic. It's realistic. It's realistic, but it's, it's so hard because it's so serious. It is so serious. And again, it's been a long time building. I mean, we have unilaterally disarmed for mm -hmm. 30 years. Mm -hmm. The Chinese have been unilaterally waging unrestricted warfare against us for at least that time. We've watched, you know, the Russians put into place these uh, vast new capabilities, uh, you know, uh, intercontinental range, underwater unmanned torpedoes and hypersonic weapon systems and you know nuclear powered cruise missiles and all this other stuff and we've and the Nord Stream 2 pipeline that helps finance it and so on and all of this has been taking place while we've been kind of on what the Brits call a, a busman's holiday well not entirely I mean to some extent we've been engaged fighting wars in Afghanistan and Iraq and places like that but the reality is Evil has been on the march, and I say that advisedly. I think we are in the midst of a spiritual war 
and mm -hmm. it is well advanced and we are not doing well partly personally because i think we've not maintained our relationship with god as we should but whatever the reason um evil is definitely um on as i say a roll frank before we get let you go what do you think about the election coming up and what do you think what are your thoughts about getting rid of this regime which has enabled a lot of this in the last 12 months well, look, there's a lot of rough country between here and 2024, mm -hmm. um, between here and November 2022. Mm -hmm. uh, my urgent appeal is taking a page out of my old boss, Ronald Reagan's playbook, that people who are interested in running for elective office will use this backdrop to offer the American people both a strategy for what to do about this and to elicit from them a mandate to do it. Mm -hmm. Reagan did exactly that when he departed from the old uh, Kissinger, Nixon, Ford, Carter, detente strategy by saying what he famously called the we win, they lose strategy, ultimately designed to free the people of the Soviet Union. And, you know, he took that to the American people in 1980. Mm -hmm. He secured their vote for it. And then, God love him, he actually acted to fulfill his promise. We need to do that now. We need to be on a war footing vis-a-vis -vis these various adversaries. We need to be thoughtful and sober and realistic, but we also need to be about reconstituting what he used to call peace through strength. It's the only strategy I know of that actually works. Frank Gaffney, thank you. My pleasure. Thanks we'll for having me. See you soon. Good.